What a great reminder that uh, as we join together this morning, we are not coming looking forward to a victory. We are coming together this morning in victory. You remember John in 1 John chapter 2 wrote that young men had overcome the evil one. In Hebrews chapter 2, we're reminded that Christ took away from the devil the power of death. Referring to the devil as the one who in the past tense had the power of death. Now, our risen Lord has taken that away and we abide in his victory. Turn with me this morning to Psalm chapter 6. Skipping over one, skipping chapter 5, we're going to look at Psalm 6 this morning. Just a a reminder that the first part of these psalms, remember where you read to the choir master with stringed instruments. Some of you may have a uh, a different word there. Uh, These are part of the inspired scripture uh, given to us by inspiration. So we'll pick up there uh, in the Hebrew Bible. That would be uh, verse 1. And so we'll read all of Psalm 6 as an act of worship. Remember This is the inerrant and infallible authoritative word of God. Please give attention to it now. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Shemanit, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have caused it to be written down. And and now we remember also that we're not waiting for future revelations, future things, future instructions to be written down for us. We're not dependent upon uh, men Uh, to tell us your will, but we have it completely given to us in your word. It is perfect. And so, Father, we ask now that you would work in us by your spirit who pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and that you would impress upon us your word and enable us to walk according to it. Give us understanding. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. One of the things that comes to mind as we read this psalm, um, hopefully will become clearer to you as we go along a bit, but 
being Christian is not primarily an activity. You know that? Uh, being Christian is not primarily an activity. It's, it's not primarily professing faith and then doing all the little Christian things, coming to church on a regular basis. Those are very important aspects. But one of the things that is, I've been impressed with lately, just a need to be reminded of this personally, and I think as a church globally, that Christianity is a world view. It is a world view. What, what do we mean by that? Well, when we say that it's a world view, we mean that there's not one aspect of your life that is not affected in some way by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the gospel changes every single thing about us. We see the world differently. We begin to understand why people behave the way that they do. We, uh, in, in present culture, uh, we, we speak a lot of, of mental health and things along those lines. But Christians, we've always understood from God's word that the world is affected by the corruption of sin. And, and the way that that corruption of sin presents itself in a man's life is going to be different for, from person to person. So we, we have an infinite and, and, and an eternal and an unchanging perspective when our minds begin to be molded by God's word. It affects everything. This morning, we are going to think of the Christian view of dealing with affliction. As you've noticed, these past few Psalms, David really seems to emphasize that, doesn't he? I mean, this man went through a lot of trial and tribulation. He had some severe struggles. Specifically, we'll see that he was a man who was not immune from personal illness. He was affected in his body like you and me. In His infinite and unchangeable wisdom, God appoints seasons of, of physical sickness to His people. I want you to think about that for a moment. In His infinite and unchangeable wisdom, God appoints seasons of sickness for His people. You and I do not experience sickness as a result of the random processes in the world. Your knees don't hurt just because of random processes. We're not evolutionists. Why do your knees hurt and someone else's don't? Why does uh, one man live to be 100 years old and another dies at 65? We experience seasons of sickness and sickness in general because God appoints it to us. To deny this is to, not, to deny God's place as the ultimate sovereign. After all, we confess that God determines whatsoever comes to pass, do we not? God determines whatsoever comes to pass. Jesus, in fact, prayed for you in a certain way in John chapter 17. He prayed that God would not do something for you. When Jesus in the garden was praying to his father, he said, Lord, don't, he said, Father, don't take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world. I'm not asking for you to take them out of the world, but 
that you would keep them from the evil one. John 17, 15. It is not God's will to preserve you from all suffering and pain of this world, but He will sustain you through it. And He will teach you to delight in Him alone. It goes without saying, doesn't it, that this this doctrine is extremely important for Christian well-being. It is this doctrine that preserves our hope in the midst of overwhelming illness and loss. And listen, I can say that to you, having had a son diagnosed with cancer. I, I, I can say that to you as one who knows it. It is this doctrine that preserves your hope in the midst of overwhelming illness and loss. And I would suggest to you that as your pastor, that we have seen how a lack of understanding this doctrine has led to, on a global scale, a sense of hysteria in the face of illness and COVID-19. We seem not to know that God, listen, God alone has established the limits of the virus. Do you believe that? He has unchangeably set those who would be affected by it and those who will not. Do you believe that? He has unchangeably set those who will die and those who will not. Whether by war or by famine or by sickness, God determines it. Thus, God can command you this. Fear not. If you live, you will live through affliction. Some of it will be extraordinary. Some of you have suffered the death of loved ones. And you hurt. And you've been afflicted in a sore way. Some of you have been perhaps permanently handicapped. And you, you, you've wondered, Lord, why, why would you do this to me when I can do so much good in your kingdom if I was just well? I don't want to be Mephibosheth sitting at King David's table. You will be afflicted in a general sense with the frustration of the day-to-day Earning a living, raising children, the breakdown of the body, ministering to the sick. Some of you are going to be afflicted in a specific sense. For some of you, God has appointed some very specific afflictions. You're, you're going to get sick. Some of you can get, will get very sick. And, and here's one statistic that I can assure you of with certainty. That 100% of you are going to die. 
You will get sick in a specific sense. Some of you are going to to suffer the pain of severe loss. Someone who died before their time. And you question within yourself why. To this, Matthew Henry says this about Psalm chapter 6. He says, Is any afflicted? Is any sick? Let him sing this psalm. It will be a balm to you as God by His Holy Spirit applies it. And notice with me first of all as we look in the text that this is a reflection on God's treatment of the righteous and wicked just as we have seen thematically. Notice the, the end of the psalm, verse 8, Depart from me all you workers of evil. David continues this theme of reflecting on the righteous and the wicked. We, but one thing that's different here is we don't have the specific context for the writing of the psalm. Is David in the wilderness somewhere at this point? Uh, maybe he's observing Mephibosheth, the descendant of, of Saul, and, or maybe his broken relationship with Jonathan. Uh, what's going on here? We don't exactly know. Is he still on the run from Saul? Is he on the run from Absalom? Is Shimei spitting on his face as he's leaving the kingdom behind? We don't know. But what we do know is that David's affliction became for him a a prompting. It, It prompted him to go before the Lord. And what we'll see is that it prompted him to go before the Lord with a specific need. It prompted David to remember the need for repentance. Notice with me first of all that when you are in affliction, acknowledge, you ought to acknowledge the Lord's discipline. When you face times of affliction, you ought to acknowledge the Lord's discipline. Look with me at verse 1. Notice how David prayed there, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? We notice that a penitent prayer reminds us of our... It begins with the acknowledgement of what you deserve. Penitent prayer begins with acknowledging what you deserve. It's... I think it's helpful here that we don't know the specific occasion of David's sin because then you and I would be, or, or of his prayer, because we'd be tempted to say, well, uh, this was with when he was with Bathsheba. I haven't committed a sin along those lines, and so this really doesn't apply to me. But what we find in this prayer is there's, there is no specific reference to specific sin. It's a general prayer of penitence. Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. And so you and I ought to remember that we deserve God's wrath in general. We deserve God's wrath in general. You are affected, or I think maybe in this context we ought to say you, you and I are infected with the guilt of Adam's sin. When Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you ate the fruit with him. And when he fell, you fell with him. We have been 
affected by the guilt of Adam's sin. But we also, you and I, deserve God's wrath, not just in a general way, that there's general wrath in the world, but we deserve God's wrath in particular. You know that you are guilty of personal sin before the Lord. And if we took an inventory of everybody in this room, we'd have all varieties of sin, all variety of motivations and thoughts of, and blasphemies against the Lord. We are all guilty of specific sin against the Lord. And so, here's the beginning place. You and I can acknowledge in our prayer that there is no trouble in this life that we don't deserve. You cannot be afflicted in this life in a way that you do not deserve. In fact, you and I can acknowledge that all trouble that we face in this life, listen to me, is infinitely less than what we deserve. Every trouble, every affliction in this life is infinitely less than what we deserve. You think about this, and um, when Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, He's instructing us on a daily basis to ask God to provide us with the very fundamental thing we need to live. Give me bread. And according to our larger catechism, it reminds us that we have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life and deserve to be wholly deprived of them by God and to have them cursed to us in the use of them. Think about Israel. I was referencing uh, numbers um, this week. And Israel wanted meat to eat. And God said, I'll give you meat. In fact, I'll give you so much meat that it's piled up three feet thick around your camp. And the people went out and they got their meat. They gathered their meat. They came in. They prepared their meat. They cooked the meat. And as soon as their teeth clamped down on it, God killed them. That's what we deserve. Because we have sinned against the Lord, we deserve to be deprived of all the outward blessings of this life and that if we ever got to enjoy one of them, that God would curse us in the enjoyment of it. Why is this important? Well, because when you go through affliction, when you are sick and you are ill and, and the, the weakness of the body brings on a weakness of soul because they are, inter, they are connected you will be tempted to say, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I have a, a friend whose wife left him, and in our counseling sessions, he never could get beyond. I built this house. I have worked hard. I spent all these years laboring. This, I don't deserve this. Yes, you do. In fact, you deserve far worse. God, David is teaching us in this. That he, he has the mentality, Lord, I deserve your anger. I deserve your wrath. Please don't rebuke me. 
You have every reason to. I'm asking you to be gracious. And do you notice here, David, in the midst of his sickness, in the midst of his illness, did not hesitate to turn his thoughts to God. And when we begin with this acknowledgement, acknowledging sin before the Lord, acknowledging His just wrath, here's what happens. You begin to treasure the affliction of Jesus Christ in your behalf. Do you understand? If you want to see the measure of affliction that you deserve, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Compare what you are going through in this moment, the sickness of body, the weakness of body, the frustration that brings on. Compare what you are being afflicted with right now to the cross of Jesus Christ. There is what you deserve. You deserve to be the one quoting Psalm 22 on that wretched tree saying, Lord, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? You will not treasure the affliction of Christ if you do not understand that that is what you deserve. And when you are sick, when you are ill in this life, you get a little taste of that. A little reminder, a little provocation to go to the Lord in repentance. Secondly, not only do we see that in affliction ought we acknowledge the Lord's discipline. Secondly, we see that In affliction, you ought to plead for the Lord's mercy. In other words, here's how we're framing this whole Christian worldview. If God is appointing these seasons to me, if they are a reminder of the need for ongoing repentance, then what am I supposed to ask for? When we gather on a Wednesday night, we go down our list of all the afflictions that our friends are suffering from. Knees and kidneys and cancer But what do we ask the Lord for? We ask Him for mercy. We ask Him for mercy. In affliction, verses 2 to 4 teach us to plead for mercy. Let's read together. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Literally there, David is saying, I'm weary, I'm weak. I I don't have the strength that that I once had. I'm, I'm not a man, I can't go to war. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. The sickness of my bones is bringing about a weakness of my soul. But you, O Lord, how long? How long is this appointed to me? How long will you keep me in this condition? Turn, O Lord, in verse 4. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. You notice that David is very plain about his pain. He he doesn't necessarily try to clean up his language here. And not only is he writing it for himself, but he's writing it for you so that you can, as a congregation, gather and cry out to the Lord and sing these things to the Lord. David confessed here, I'm languishing. Lord, I'm weak. For you that might be, Lord... Uh, my knee, my knees hurt. My my back is stove up. My memory is failing. My my hearing is going away. I can't see as well as I did. Everything in Ecclesiastes chapter twelve. I'm losing my teeth. 
he notes that he is now gone from a mighty warrior who stood in the gap with Goliath toe to toe, and now he is nothing more than a withering leaf upon a tree. We notice that David suffered in body and soul. You can relate to this, can't you? Often when you go through seasons of sickness, you experience also a leanness of soul. Your quiet time tends to dry up. Your sense of the nearness of God dries up. And David notes, why is this? Because you are a soul and body unit. They are inseparable. When the soul divides from the body, your body dies. My bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. David noted the depth of his anguish. And I think here we're tempted to think about forgiveness, aren't we? You might say, well, Pastor, isn't there forgiveness for sin? If I'm forgiven of my sin. Doesn't it say in Isaiah 53 that he's borne our griefs, that all of our affliction is upon his back? What about forgiveness? Here, you and I need to be reminded that forgiveness does not always remove consequences. You think about, as a father, disciplining a child, and you go in to discipline the child, and and perhaps the child is very quick to say, I sinned, please forgive me. Thinking what? Spanking avoided. You are forgiven, now turn around. Okay? Okay? Go with me, though, to Numbers chapter 20. Hold your finger at Psalm 6 and let's look together at Numbers 20. What we're noting here is that forgiveness of sin doesn't always remove the consequences of sin. I'll just give you this morning from the life of Moses. Numbers chapter 20, look with me at verse, we'll begin with verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. He wasn't supposed to do that. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Even though the Lord accepted Moses in his sight, Moses was ultimately forgiven for this. God held out the consequence to him and he died on Mount Nebo looking into the land of Canaan. God, forgiveness does not always remove consequences. We could look at this in David's life as well. David, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, confessed his sin. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. God forgave David. 
but a consequence of his sin remained. And so you and I can understand for this that we, when we are sick and ill and weak, that this is appointed by God for two reasons, one of two. One, because there's general sin. Not necessarily because God is not making your knees ache because you're lying all the time. That could be. But we do understand that we are guilty of sin in general and also specifically. We also remember that the Lord disciplines His children. We remember from Hebrews chapter 12 that if He doesn't discipline you, then you are not a son. If God doesn't discipline you when you are in sin, then you are not a son. God disciplines His children. His mercy, listen to me carefully, God's mercy and grace are not an indulgence of sin. Paul makes that very clear. Notice with me thirdly, in affliction we are to acknowledge the Lord's discipline, we are to plead for the Lord's mercy properly. In your affliction you ought to confess your troubles to the Lord. Notice verses 6 and 7 with me back at Psalm 6. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Here we see the connection from soul to body. The weakness of David's soul is feeding into the weakness of his body. He says, I groan all night, Lord. Don't, Don't you see me? My bed is floating away because of my tears. My eyes are suffering. They hurt. We notice that even in David's life, that the affliction of life is often more than you can bear. The affliction of life is often more than you can bear. We think of the life of Elijah on the run from... um, Ahab, who prayed in 1 Kings 19 when he was afraid for his life, he asked the Lord to take his life away. Kill me now. But we're also reminded this, that the afflictions of this life are never, never more than Christ can sustain you through. He has borne your griefs. He has borne your iniquity in His own flesh so that He Himself, by His Spirit, can sustain you through the weakness and the weariness of this life. And He is calling upon you to call upon Him for it. Fourthly, lastly, in affliction, you must resist evil And rest in the Lord. Look at verses 8 to 10 with me. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. One of the things that you and I understand is that the weakness of the body can often leave us open to other temptations. 
This is one of the reasons that uh, wise counsel says, if you, are, if you have an unreconcilable difference with a husband or a wife, when it gets to be 10 p.m., press pause, go to bed, address it another day. Why? Because the weariness of your body leads to weariness of soul. You begin to make poor decisions. You lose control of your mouth. You say things that you ought not. Or you're exposed to temptations that during the day you're strong against. Times of sickness and times of affliction can bring this on as well. There can be a weakness toward temptation. Notice that David did not say, Ah, my prayer is answered. Ah, the Lord healed me. Ah, the Lord made me well. David left his petition before the Lord. Why is this important? Because your times of physical affliction will also often be times of spiritual testing. They will test your fortitude. Uh, One commentator notes that unanswered prayer uh, is a complaint of the unbeliever. David here is not wrestling from a position of unbelief. He holds on to his faith. Even in the midst of his sickness, he goes in faith to the Lord and he leaves it there. The result of David's prayer is confidence not in himself, not that he's going to get through this. His confidence is ultimately and finally in the Lord. That God will bring him through. You know you are maturing as a believer if you are growing in confidence in the Lord. Every affliction in this life should remind you of your need to repent. In other words, every affliction is a prompting. It is like a a prod, a cattle prod that is reminding you not to fret, not to worry, not to lose heart, not to set your hope aside, but to take your hopes, take your fears, take your longings, take your frustrations to the Lord and leave them with Him. Be reminded that you need repentance, ongoing, heartfelt, heart-searching, self-examining repentance before the Lord. Therefore, with this Christian mindset, you will receive your times of affliction with humility. Do you see the difference? I'm sick. I, I, deserve, I deserve this. I deserve far worse. I, I plead for the Lord's mercy. I, I acknowledge my hurt to Him specifically. Every single one of them. I resist the temptation to doubt Him. And when I do doubt, I confess even that to Him and ask Him for forgiveness. My worries I confess. My anxieties I confess. And I plead for the Lord's mercy. And all of this comes to you as a blessing, do you see, through your affliction. And we're lastly reminded that as we pray, to wait upon His answer. Amen. Let's pray. Father, There are so many struggles in this life, so many sicknesses. One 
that we're battling right now that would take our hearts away. But Lord, we ask that first and foremost, then, that You would take our hearts away. That we would find our times of affliction, our times of sickness, our times of feebleness and and weakness and heartache would be times of intimate communion with You through Christ. That they would be times where we reflect most sincerely and earnestly upon the suffering of Christ our Lord. Help us as Your people always to compare our present affliction with His so that we might be reminded of what He has enabled us to escape. Father, we thank You then. We thank You for our times of affliction. Thank You for our hurts. Thank You for sickness. Thank You for appointing it to us. Because we know it comes to us not out of a a desire for our hurt or out of contempt for us, but You as a loving Father use those seasons of our lives to drive us back, to wall us in, to hem us in, to remind us of our need for You. And oh, how we need that. So Father, bless us by maturing us in our faith and enabling us to trust in You to find joy and gladness and protection even in the midst of our affliction. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.